And we're in the book of Colossians, if you didn't know it, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, we are working our way through the book of Colossians, and we made it to chapter 2. Big applause for chapter 2. Hey, everybody excited. Are you happy to be in 2 or out of 1? That's the question. We don't know the answer. If you're just happy, that first one's over with. A lot of powerful stuff in the first five sermons from chapter 1. What I'd like to do right now is I'm going to read through these 11 verses, um, or 10 verses, and, uh, and we're going to read through these, and then we'll talk about them, all right? So if you have your Bible with you, if you have an app with you, however you like to do it, and we'll have it on the screen. But I just want to give reverence just for a minute and just read God's Word. Would that be okay? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you. This is Paul writing, remember, to the church at Colossae and for the church at Laodicea. For many other believers who have never met me personally. I mean, that's convicting. I'm not even preaching on this, but that first verse is convicting. Uh, When's the last time we agonized, had conflict in our heart and souls for believers we've never even met? Like he'd never met these people, but he knew what God was doing. And he said, I'm, I'm just agonizing in my heart. I'm in conflict. Uh, Again, it's this reference back. Uh, to a a sporting event for you and for the church. Let's say for many other believers who have never met me personally. He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. We went through unsolved mysteries, right? They understand God's mysterious plan. He reiterates it here, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. You were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't we want to be there? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ... Lives all the fullness of God in a human body. We've been talking about that already some. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. There's a lot of talk in here about truth and deception and lies. Uh, We're going to play a game. Everybody excited? No? It's like, what? It's preaching. We're going to play a game real quick. Uh, There's a game called Three Truths and a Lie. Anybody ever played it? Got a few. Anybody never played it? All right, we're going to play it on me, okay? We're going to, I'm going to tell you four. You can turn me down just a hair if you want. Turn me down just a hair. Uh, I'll talk louder. And we're going to play a game, all right? I'm going to tell you four things about myself. Everybody, are you ready? I'm going to tell you four things about myself. You've got to pick out which one is the lie. All right? Three of them are true. One is a lie, Okay? I can't tell if y'all are with me or not. Y'all out there? (laughs) 
So, yeah, I know that the, the, the title of the sermon is something different. Don't read that yet. This is three truths and a lie. This is the game, all right? Telling you four things. Three of them are true. One of them is a lie, okay? I'm going to tell you the four things. Um, one, uh, Bethany and I once flew to Puerto Rico to stay with a couple we had never met who does ministry. We went, we just flew to Puerto Rico, never met these people before, and, uh, and, and stayed in their home with them. Uh, two, uh, I've met every living governor of Kentucky. Three, I have a certificate from MIT. You all know where MIT is, what that is. Uh, four, Bethany and I rode out a Category 2 hurricane at my aunt's house in North Carolina. Okay? So you've you got to figure out what's true. There's one lie in the four things I told you. Let me read them one more time. I have a certificate from MIT. I've met every living governor of Kentucky. Uh, Bethany and I once flew to Puerto Rico, stayed in the house of somebody we never met. Uh, or we rode out a Category 2 hurricane at my aunt's house in North Carolina. All right, y'all ready? We're going to vote right here with hands. You're going to pick. All right. Okay. Who thinks the lie is, I have a certificate from MIT? Anybody think that's a lie? That's pretty good. I think y'all just waiting for the first one I said, and everybody's like, that's a lie. <laughs> now, you can't raise your hand again. First service, people, I think, voted like three times. <laughs> Second one is, I've met every living governor of Kentucky. Who thinks that's a lie? Got a few of those. Uh, Bethany and I once flew to Puerto Rico and stayed with some people we didn't know. By mutual friend. Got one. One thinks that's a lie. Um, Bethany and I rode out a Category 2 hurricane in North Carolina. Who thinks that's a lie? I got a few of those. And the anticipation. <laughs> it is true uh, that I've met every living governor of Kentucky. Uh, it's true that I've got a, a certificate from MIT and entrepreneurship stuff. Um, it's true that we flew to Puerto Rico and got in a car with people we'd never met that do ministry. It is not true that we rode out a hurricane in North Carolina, Category 2. See, y'all see how easy it is to be deceived? How to sort through what is a lie and what is truth? And so Paul was writing to the church here. Really, the whole reason he wrote is because the church was being attacked by some false teachers, some false doctrine. Thankfully, when he teaches here, he says, uh, when he writes here, he says, I'm so thankful that you're strong in your faith. In other words, they've not gone down this road yet to start to believe the lies. But Paul is warning them to, to hold fast to the truth. And so we want to walk through this passage. The title of the sermon is Three Lies and a Truth. All right, and so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some deceitful things. The thing is, if we could get a bunch of scholars up here, Bible scholars, and we'd say, what was the heresy in Colossae? What was, the, in other words, why did Paul write this letter to the church? What were they fighting about, or what was the false teaching, the doctrine? We could come back probably next Sunday and it'd still be arguing and debating. Okay, they don't know exactly what it was. 
Lots of guesses, and I've talked about some of those. But what we'll talk about today is some things that I find in our own community, in our own, in my own Facebook feed of friends that I have, of things that are confronting the truth of the gospel. This is not as a fun of a sermon as I usually do. This is what happens when we preach through books of the Bible. We get to hard truths, things that press on us, things that encourage us, things that draw us closer and deeper into Jesus. This question as we start, I want you to ask yourself is what are you building your life on? You will build your life on some truth, something you believe about God, about church, about community, about religion, about all these things. Uh, you will build your life on some truth, something you believe is true. Here Paul draws us close, points us directly at truth. You ready? What does a church look like that is just deep on truth, that is, that is just doing it right, that is faithful, that, is, uh, that has built their life and their house and their community of believers on truth? What does it look like? And this is Paul's heart for the church at Colossae, Colossians 2, verse 2. He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. I want them to be encouraged, knit together in ties of love, and confident in their understanding of Christ. Three things really here. What does a church strong on, on truth look like? One, it, they're encouraged. He says, I want them to be encouraged. Why would he care about them being encouraged this this word here is, is uh, it means to be, we all know what it means to be encouraged because we know what it means to be discouraged. We know what it means to not to want to get out of the bed or to give up or to throw the towel in on our, on our marriage, on our job, on our family, on our kids. Like we all know that feeling of being discouraged. He says, I want them to be encouraged. He was concerned about something. He was concerned about their enthusiasm. You know, enthusiasm is contagious. So it, all it takes is one person in a group of people to come in and be negative about situation and complaining about things, and it can suck the wind out of the entire situation. It takes somebody being excited about what God is doing, enthusiasm in the workplace, in the church, in the family, whichever, enthusiasm. He says, I, I'm concerned about their enthusiasm. I don't want you to get discouraged because people are teaching these false things. He says, I need you enthused about the truth. He says, I need you encouraged, strong, strengthened, established, embraced. It's the idea of enabling a person to meet some difficult situation with confidence. Let me ask you, are you meeting a difficult situation in your life right now. Some struggle, some challenge that's coming at you. Paul says, I want you. I, he said he never met these people. He's never met you and me. This letter's to you and me. He says, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have strength. I want you to be braced. Here's what I think Paul really wanted these Christians and what, what, what I think he'd want for you and me is he wants us to be ready for heroic action. 
Like to do the hard things for our family, to take on what is required of us and what's confronted with us with confidence and encouragement. He wants the church to be ready for heroic action. And to do that, you've got to be encouraged. He says, I want you to be encouraged. The second thing he says is, I want, uh, I hope you are knit together in ties of love. He wants us to be encouraged. I think he wants us to be in community. He wants us to be in community with one another. He wants us to be in community in a way that, uh, that is not built on our religion or our denomination or, our, our, uh, uh, or any of those things. He wants to be in community of love, that we love one another. We care for one another. We take care of one another. We, we all know the, the feeling of uh, be, everybody been left out. When they used to pick teams on the, the playground, anybody know what it feels to be left out? Anybody knows what it feels like to not get the job? Anybody know what it feels like to be overlooked or seem like you've been forgotten or, or think, man, I thought they would have thought of me? And, and all these are little seeds of doubt that the enemy can plant to, to, to distract us from our encouragement and to start to break down community. And if he can break down community, the strong ties of love, then, then, then we start to get distracted from the whole purpose of why we're even here. Why we even serve God. We'll be, we'll, we'll be debating things that don't even matter. If he can get into the heart of the community and the encouragement that we feel and have in church. The third thing he says, I want you to be confident in your understanding, I want you to have complete confidence that, that you understand God's mysterious plan, that you understand Christ. I, want you, I don't want you to have to doubt it. I don't want you to be like, one day I kind of think I know about Jesus, and some days I wonder. Like, no, I want you to know. I want you to be so confident that you know and trust in Jesus, and you know this mysterious plan. I want you to know that. He says, that's why, that's what a church built on truth looks like. We want to grow in the understanding and knowledge of God's truth. This is why we are usually preaching through a book of the Bible. This is why we take verse by verse. You've heard me say before, you know, there's some times when we're doing this, I think, man, this passage of Scripture, if I was going to preach somewhere next Sunday morning, one time in another church, probably wouldn't pick these ten verses, right? But every time I slow down and study and we dig into them, oh, it hits home every time, every verse, every word in this book. He says, I want you to grow. He gives us a reason why here in verse 4. He says, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And he goes on in verse 8 and he says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. He says, you're going to be confronted with truth in life, and you're going to be confronted with lies in life, deceit, and they're going to be well-crafted. It's going to sound like, like hey, I, what do you think about my lie earlier? I crafted it pretty good. I think 95% of you got it wrong. Congratulations. Three truths and a lie. It was well-crafted. Like some of you know, I do have an aunt in North Carolina, and we go down there, so I'm like, that's probably true. He probably did that. Like it was well-crafted. And so when the enemy comes and when, when somebody comes to you, they're not going to be like, hey, come here, let me tell you a lie. 
Let me tell you this lie about Jesus. See if you believe it. See if you think it's true. No, they're going to tell you something. They're going to say, you know, Jesus wasn't really God. And they're going to say, I think he's just a good teacher. You know, he set a good example. And you're going to say, that's pretty well crafted. Maybe he was just a good teacher. If you're not confident and fully understanding and in depth in the knowledge of who Jesus is. Or, or they're going to say things like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you're, you're studying Colossians and, um, and, and that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good letter and all. But, you know, that was just a, was a book, that was a letter written by a guy that's not really, you know, it's not, it's not the word of God. It was just a letter from a guy named Paul. And they're going to start to make you question, is this the inerrant word of God? And they're going to, they're going to say, like, and you're like, wait, was it just a letter? <laughs> right? These, and, and so I, this is all around us, okay? And we understand that. And, and so I want, I want to share just a little bit of what he says. He says, these lies, the deceit is going to come and it's going to be well crafted. It's going to be an attempt to deceive you and capture you. And turn you away from the truth of Jesus. It's going to be empty philosophies. You know, I went philosophy 101 or whatever in college. And, you know, it's all about what is life and why are we here. And, you know, Aristotle and all these people. And you study all this. And, and you just never get to any conclusion. You just not argue about it the rest of your life. Because there's no foundation. There's no anchor. There's no absolute truth in that world. And so it's going to be empty philosophies that are just men trying to figure it out, men and women trying to use human reasoning and thinking, trying to figure out the truth about life and what everything is and why we're here. I love this translation. It says it's going to be high-sounding nonsense. It's going to sound real fancy. All right? It's going to sound real fancy and enough to get you thinking, hmm, maybe. Maybe that is it. And so I, I usually don't do this and reach out too much, but there's been so many times I got, I got, we've got students coming up out of our youth group going to university and being taught things that are absolutely not true, okay? Uh, and, and we got people, I got pastor friends who used to pastor churches who have now left their church and are doing these things and leading their own online community and teaching all about how God is still revealing himself to people and the scripture was not the end of it and you can get your own revelation from God. Like all this stuff is right here and all around us. So I want to share just three things. I, I usually don't move away from kind of breakdown of verses, but I just want to share these three things that have been on my heart because it scares me, okay, that, that I see coming around us. And um, I want to thank Joey that helps us here at church that did some research on these things from us who just graduated from UPike. And, um, and he's in seminary. And, uh, and I think of... You know, when I went to college, I, I was, most of my professors, you know, I'd get, I'd get confronted with atheists. You know, that was pretty common. Um, and, and so I remember being a young Christian trying to battle through that and asking questions. And, and I think about Joey as he shared his story of being at, at college and, and not just atheists, but people who have completely corrupted, like it's a, it's, it's a religion, Jesus is a part of it. But they've abandoned a lot of the bedrocks of the faith. And, and, and so I asked him, I was like, so I'm going to preach on chapter two. Will you just write some, share, do some research. Share me the two or three things you think are the most, uh, the, the, the most pressing things that are confronting Christianity. 
And um, so let's start. Let's just talk about one of these. Um, I'm going to use two that he gave me. Uh, one was uh, um, what would be known as universalism or universal Christianity. And so universal Christianity is this, uh, this new thought, this new teaching that everyone will eventually be saved. They include Jesus in this. They teach about the resurrection. Uh, but they teach that when Jesus died, he didn't just save those that, who come to him who, or who believe in him, but that eventually we will all be reconciled back to Jesus. Eventually he'll just save everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. You know, this is hell on earth. We're all going to heaven eventually. They, uh, they, they lean on the love and the compassion of God, that God is going to save everybody. Um, and, and then they ignore and neglect the righteousness and the justice of God. They, they forget the truth that, yes, he died for whosoever believeth in him, but they have to believe. Like, he, he is sovereign and he saves folks, but there's a, re, a response and a reaction that we have to give to be a part to accept the grace. It says, by faith through his grace are we saved. And Jesus makes it clear, Matthew 25, he says, Then they, the unsaved, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. According to this verse, the punishment of the unsaved is just as eternal as the life of the righteous. These are the words of Jesus himself. So that's universal Christianity. I mean, you can go out of that, and there's universalism in general, just that any way to God is a way to God. And, you know, th there's all the universalism, and universal Christianity is all around us. It is around you. If you have children, it is around your children. It's being pressed on them. Somebody will move them in that direction. The second one Joey shared with me is called progressive Christianity. I don't know a lot about this stuff. I'm not out in that world anymore. And so he shared about progressive Christianity, uh, which, which is kind of similar. Um, they, they have a real strong conviction for social justice and, and for em environmentalism and things like this, okay? But they care, share a couple of the thoughts. One is they, they also believe that, uh, most of them believe that everybody's going to be saved eventually. And so they kind of abandon the gospel. They're all about good deeds, but there's not a lot of good news. The gospel message that Jesus died for you, saved you. And there's not a lot of we are broken and sinful people by nature and that we need a savior. Uh, they also have abandoned the truth. That this is God's word. They, they think it's a good example. They think Jesus wasn't the son of God. They, they say he was just a man and is a, is a good example to follow. I believe he's a good person, but he is not Savior and Lord. They've moved from a personal salvation to kind of a collective salvation. Two lies. Um, Y'all having fun? The, the third one, that wasn't one he shared. He also had, you know, prosperity, Christianity, or the gospel in there. Um, I'm not going to talk at length about that. I think we all know and see that, the, 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 the promise that not only does Christ save you, but he intends you to live on this planet without suffering. And, 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 and if you're holy enough and righteous enough, it'll show in your blessings and your wealth and your prosperity, all things that are not true and contrary to the gospel and God's word. 
The other one I want to talk about is a, uh, is a, is a works-based Christianity. Um, I want to read this, what one author said. And before I read this, I want, I want to say to you that um, y'all know what I mean by works-based Christianity. It means how are we going to get to heaven? You're going to get to heaven by doing good things. Okay, that you've been a good person, that, that sometime at the end of life, when you die, it depends on how good you've been that day or that week on whether you get saved or not. And your good deeds and your bad deeds are going to be put on these scales, and let's hope they tip toward good. And, and so I don't think we have a lot of blatant teaching of that, about this is how you get saved, you've got to do good. But there, there's a lot of teaching about works-based keeping your salvation. Okay, so the, the thought would be, I got saved this week, I gave my life to Christ, give your life to Christ, you gave it to him, and, but don't mess up this week. And so you come back the next Sunday, you think, did I mess up, and did I mess up too much, and, and you become in this constant state of, am I really saved, am I still saved, did, did God save me, if I know, like all these questions begin to reiterate, and what if, what if I don't go to church on Sunday, and, God, and Jesus comes back, and I wasn't in church, and then I, and, and so we have sometimes this works-based, if works can't save you, it can't keep you saved, Okay? And so what one author said, the New Testament is clear about the nature of saving faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's Romans 3.28. Galatians 2.16 says, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Then in Titus, Paul wrote this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. When, when we move into works-based Christianity... And that you are saved by the good and the bad that you do. It also opens the door for man-made tradition and us creating our own rules. To determine and speak about what a Christian looks like and acts like and who they are and where you go and what you do. And a lot of these traditions get ingrained into us as reality. And so Jesus spoke into this situation... When, when some Pharisees ask him in Mark chapter 7, they're like, Jesus, why do your disciples eat with those people and they eat this and they do that and they go these places? And Jesus just said to him, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, I don't ever want to be this person, okay? These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That Jesus is a part of the conversation that comes out the lips. But Jesus said, their heart is far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Here's really what I want to say about this. 
Um, the fear of hell. Okay? Y'all with me just for a minute? The, the fear of hell can never match the gratitude for grace in its power to change a life, in its power to set you free from sin, in its power to set you free from the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin. The fear, that, like the fear of hell that would drive you to the altar say, I don't want to, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be good. I'm going to stop doing all this stuff. And, and, and we've seen this our whole life. Out of fear, people, we, we come and then we say, now I've done that. I've made this mental decision to try to be a better person. And then we stumble that week. Because we went straight from putting Jesus as our Savior to putting the pressure back on ourselves. And, and Paul said it himself in Galatians, like, wait, if you could keep yourself saved, then you don't need Jesus. Like, like, that's the same thing. Like, what I want you to know is when you give your life to Christ, when you build your house on truth, you are completely changed from the inside out. Supernaturally, spiritually, you become a new creation in Christ. And man, your fruit look different. <laughs> Your life looks different. Your life doesn't look different to save you. You don't go serving good. He's like, I'm saved. I did good this week. He's like, God saved me. I'm just a wretch. You know, the longer Paul grew and mature, he gets to the end, and he talk, when he talks about himself, I'm just a sinner of which I am chief. The longer he understands God's grace, the more deep he understands his need for Jesus. And so when we give our life, when we go all in with Christ, when we are just so grateful that he saved us in spite of our sin and in spite of ourselves, simply through our faith, your life, I promise, will never be the same. He tells us as we get ready to close here. He says, now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. What I, as you think about the question I asked earlier, what are you building your life on? Is it Jesus? Is it church? Is it religion? Is it your good works? Is it, is it your long history of, 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 um, of good deeds and, and, and maintaining a pretty status quo? Is it, is, it, is it the fact that you go to church because your parents want you to? Is it that you come to church only because you want your kids to and you think it's good for them and you're just kind of here? And, and, and so there will be a day, right, where we all answer for the life and the truth and the, and the thing we built our life on. And heaven and hell are real. And the difference in where you go is simply, did I make Jesus Lord of my life? Did I give it all to him? Did I build on the truth of Jesus Christ? He was writing this message to the church. He said, I want your roots to go down into him so your lives will be built on him. My plea this morning is that you are able to sort out the lies that come against you, come against the church. That your roots go down deep into Jesus Christ, that your life is built upon Jesus Christ.
You grow strong in the truth you were taught. And then, man, we'll just walk around overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with the, the reality that, Jesus, that God revealed this mystery through Jesus to us. We don't have to debate it. We don't have to figure it out. It's not complicated. So simple. Give your life to Jesus. So we, we talked about three lies and the truth. There's all kinds of lies. We could go on and on and on because there's only one truth. Jesus said in Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. It says, when he finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed because he taught with authority. John 14, his disciples, when he was telling them, I'm getting ready to get arrested, I'm going away. He didn't come out and say, I'm getting arrested, but I'm going away. And he said, you can come with me. He said, we don't even know where you're going. We don't know where you're going, Jesus. We don't know the way. We don't know how to get there. When you get confused... Okay, when you get faced with uh, something that feels deceptive and alive, when, when, when you are faced with a difficult situation in your life and you need encouragement and you need community and you need full assurance, I want you to come back to what Jesus told them. And it was really simple. And we sing the refrain here a lot. And we're going to do it in a minute as a group. He said, oh, you, you do. You've seen the Father. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. He said, I and the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Upon that, I'm building my life, forsaking all else, forgetting everything else. I've gone all in. I'm fully confident. That with that knowledge and that truth of him, life is never the same. We're going to sing this together. We're just going to sing that refrain. And they're going to come up. We're going to sing an invitation, a response song here. Y'all probably heard us sing this before. It's really simple. I want you to sing this to Jesus this morning. I don't know. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, my roots have not gone deep into him. It's just barely in the ground and I feel the foundation shaking. And we're just going to sing this little refrain, refrain that draws our hearts back to him. So you are the way, the truth, the life. You are the way, the truth. Sing it again.
song. I'm going to present you with the full gospel message in word and melody. We want you to hear this. We want to put Jesus where he rightly belongs, on his throne as Lord and Savior, King of kings. Speak. 